0: Two. There's a class for the younger kids downstairs, and one for the older kids upstairs. And all right. Normally, at this point, I would tell you to turn to a passage, but we've been going. We've taken a break from Matthew, and we're going through a nuts and bolts series. Um, David's been doing evangelism. Chad's been talking about the church, and I've been talking about the different relationships that that God has um, ordained for us. And, and marriage is the one that I talked about last time, and this is the part two of that. Um. Last time I talked about God's good design and desire for marriage, and, and somehow mentioned this has become a controversial topic, uh, which, which is kind of strange, and I argued that for Christians it, it doesn't have to be controversial. We don't have to apologize for what God has clearly laid out for us in, in the Word. Um, instead, we should wholeheartedly celebrate it, because God's design, when He, when he did it, He said it was very good, and, and if He thinks it's very good, it's okay for us to to go along with that and agree. So God created men and women to be distinctly different on purpose to complement one another in the marriage relationship. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, it kind of sets the groundwork for for this one, so you might want to go back and listen to it. Um, But this morning, we're going to talk about some of the practicalities of how to implement God's design so that our marriages, number one, honor him, number two, succeed, and number three, so that they are a testimony to the watching world. I like the way Terry put you know, the, the example of this marriage here today, it's like a walking picture of the gospel. And I don't know if you know that, but marriage is a picture of the gospel. Um, it's a love story about a father who planned a wedding for his son. And and Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And the amazing thing about Jesus toward his bride is that he he loves her unconditionally. He gave everything to make her his own. And when you think about what the bride is like, um, he has every reason every day to divorce us because we're, we're unloving, we're unfaithful, we're disobedient, right? We nag and complain all the time. I mean, he could just say, I'm not going to put up with you anymore, but he doesn't. And this is what a Christian marriage is supposed to basically, you know, put out into the world. People are supposed to see that and, and, and see a picture of the gospel. Jesus's love is not predicated on how we perform. It's based on a decision he's made to love us, and this is what Christian marriage is supposed to be like. So before we dive in, though, I want to give you three quick encouragements. Even if you disagree, hang in there, okay? It's possible you're going to hear me say some things today that you're going to say, I don't don't think I agree with that. Just, Just hang in there and listen, because what you might do is you might learn, hey, this is why Christians believe what they believe. This is why, you know, they they cling to these things, and maybe you'll gain a little bit more charity. When we hear somebody else's point of view and, and hear something different than what we believe, it gives us maybe a, a little bit more charity for somebody else's position, and that's in short supply today. <laughs> I don't know if you, so hang in there for that. If you're currently single, hang in there. It's very uh, easy when you hear uh, the subject of marriage comes up and you're single, you just say, "Well, this doesn't apply to me," and you you turn it off real quick. And I would say, marriage does apply to you it's something that each of us as Christians should be well-versed in. Um, Maybe it'll prepare you for success in a future relationship. Maybe it'll help you to figure out what went wrong in a past relationship. Or maybe God will bring somebody into your life that desperately needs advice about marriage, and you'll be able to to help them with that. And then the the third little thing I want to mention is, um, I'm going to make statements that are general today about men and women, all right? There, there are and always will be anomalies when it comes to these things. So if you hear me say something that's a, just, just don't get all bent out of shape, you know? I mean, there's, there's things, not like you're going to, you know, come at me or anything, but um, <laughs> sometimes, you, you know, if I say there, there's, there's something about physical strength that's coming up and you're going to say, well, some women are stronger than men. Yes, some women are stronger than men. <laughs> there's some of you out there, I wouldn't fight today, you know? I would, <laughs> I would lose, but generally speaking. So just, you know, these are general statements. Okay, Men and women are wonderfully different, and these differences are by design. When God said it wasn't good for man to be alone and that he would make a helper fit for him, it it means just that. So we were designed to enhance each other, fill in the areas where the other person is lacking. It actually makes us a better team when we do this. It's really helpful to be aware of these differences in marriage and actually to welcome them um, instead of being annoyed by them. I think we can do that very easily. We see the differences and we're like, ah, I, wish, I wish it wasn't that way. Your spouse is not your enemy. Even though you may not understand each other and come at things a, a different way, they're not your enemy. And I know you know that, but sometimes we act that way. So for example, um, I, uh, my wife sometimes will be talking about a struggle at work or, or something going on with a friend and she's pouring her heart out. And as a man, my immediate thought is, okay, I get into problem-solving mode, so let's come up with a five-step plan on how to fix this. And these are great ideas. These are, uh, and, and I'm thinking, okay, here's, here's your answer to all these things. And really, what she wants to hear from me, which doesn't make sense to me, is she wants me to, to say, man, I'm sorry, hon. That, that sounds really hard. I'm sorry you're going through that. Now, I don't understand why that is what she wants when I've given her this, you know awesome list of solutions. But if I come at her with logic, when she's looking for emotional support, I, may under, I might not understand that, but I shouldn't get annoyed by it. Like, oh, that woman, you know, I gave her all these lists of good things to do and she's ignoring it. No, it's okay. We're different. A- and she's had to learn about differences with me. So I, I don't want to brag, but I can do one thing at a time pretty well. <laughs> okay. If you add in a second thing, it kind of falls apart pretty quickly. She can do a lot of things at once. I don't know how it works this way, but she's able to, she can be like reading a book, listening to a conversation, knowing what the kids are doing in the other room, and and just kind of paying attention to all of it. And so it would be very easy for her to get annoyed with me when I'm watching TV, for instance. I'm doing it well. All my focus is there. And then she comes in to talk to me, and she thinks, oh, he'll be able to do both of these things. No, he won't. (laughs) I, I I stop hearing the TV, and I don't hear her, and I go into this weird void of like just nothingness. That's what happens. And, and again, she could get really annoyed by that or she could say, okay, wait a second, we're different. And, and somehow there's a strength in that maybe. <laughs> not, maybe not that one. But, but these are just two, two examples of all kinds of things that are different between men and women generally. Um, and, and this is okay. Uh, they shouldn't ca- God didn't give these things to us to cause irritation. It's good that we're different. And some of the differences aren't based on gender. Some of them are just personality differences. And they say that opposites attract in marriage. And this is true. Um, it's a good thing. So I tend to be what I call a realist. Some people prefer to say pessimist, which I don't think is called for at all. Um, joy tends to be very optimistic, or as I like to say, an unrealistic dreamer. You know, that's just the way I, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, but again, it's like, how, how horrible would it be if there were two of uh, me. <laughs> right? um, it, it would be We wouldn't get anywhere in life. We would just worry. And that's the other thing I do is I tend to worry, that's true, and stress about things a lot. I can think about scenarios and I can tell you everything that could possibly go wrong. Not great, but that's how I am. Whereas Joy tends to be very optimistic. So she doesn't sweat the small stuff. She doesn't really sweat the medium stuff. And rarely does she sweat the large stuff, which I don't understand. But thank God there's not two of me in this relationship. Again, the bottom line is that I am a better man because I'm married to joy. And I'm really glad she's not like me. We have this thing where we try to make the other person like us. I don't need two of me in the relationship. That wouldn't work out at all. So don't see your spouse as the opposition. We need to see them as God's grace in our life. And if you can get over that hump and begin to see that that this is God's grace, this is a gift, it starts to change things. So the different roles and responsibilities that God has given men and women in marriage are meant to complement each other and not compete with each other. So last time we looked at the role God gives husbands to lead and love their wives. And, and husbands, we've been given a very good example in Jesus, right? He, in the way that he has loved the church and gave himself for her, laying down his life for her. we just saying that, it was great. Um, so this is a self-sacrificing love that makes her needs a priority. And we also look at the role that God gives to wives. They are to submit to their husbands and to show them respect, and they are also given a helpful example to follow in our Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he submitted himself to the Father, arranged himself under the the Father, not because he was inferior to the Father or less than, but it's the the position he chose to take, and he's an example for us. So Ephesians 5.33 sums these things up very well by telling us that the husband is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to see that she respects her husband. And as I pointed out last time, love and respect are kind of like an endangered species in marriages today. They, they don't tend to exist much, but we desperately need this if our marriages are going to survive and, and thrive. Have you ever seen a man who doesn't have the respect of his wife? It, it's one of the saddest things you'll see. This man is defeated. He's emasculated. Um, he's just kind of a pitiful shell of a person. On the other hand, a man whose wife is proud of him, And who builds him up and tells him how good he is at doing things, that he's capable and strong, that man feels like a champion. And he can go out and conquer the world. And the same thing is is true for a wife. A wife who doesn't have the love of her husband feels insecure and dejected and unvalued. But a wife who is cherished and protected and cared for and and made to feel beautiful and precious by her husband, she, she thrives with security and confidence. Now, the bummer is it's possible for Christians to know these things, agree with these things, And still not do these things. And I I see this all the time. And this is why. The problem is, our default is to focus on ourselves and what we need. I'm really good at this. It comes easy to us. We find it difficult very often, though, to think about what our spouse needs. And when this happens, what what we do is we make the fulfilling of the role that God has given us contingent upon what the other person is doing. So we, we end up treating marriage like a contract instead of a covenant. So a contract is conditional. It's the idea that you do your part and you and and you keep that end of the bargain, then I'll go ahead and do my part and keep my end of the bargain. But the minute you stop doing your part, I'm out. I don't have to do my part anymore. That's a contract. A covenant is different. It's not conditional. It's an agreement made between two people where vows are exchanged between each other and God. And and if you're married, you did this, right? You might not remember it because most people on their wedding day can barely remember anything that goes on. I'm surprised when I talk to people and they're like, I hope that was videotaped because I don't don't know what just happened. Um, I'm going to help you out, okay? This is probably kind of what it went like. I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till one of us doesn't do their part, no, till death do us part. See, did, did you notice? There's not an escape clause in there. Uh, the only thing that breaks this covenant is death, and, and this doesn't like arranged murder. Is out. This is like a natural death kind of thing. So, that's also sin. Don't don't go there. But but the fact that God says that the man and the woman who enter into this covenant. Uh, of marriage actually become one flesh, one flesh. And he says, what I have joined together, let nobody separate. So it's not meant to come apart ever, never, ever. Being one flesh means that you are no longer distinctly your own. You now belong to somebody else and somebody else belongs to you. And so this means that you share everything, right? Your home, your bank accounts, your time, your bodies, your passwords, your plans, your goals, your future, your entire life becomes beautifully intertwined with your spouse, so because we've entered into a covenant, instead of a contract, it means that the commands that God gives husbands to love their wives and to wives to respect their husbands have nothing to do with the other person does. Nothing. <laughs> okay, we don't we don't want to do it that way, though. We'll say, well, but but it's hard. It doesn't matter. But they don't deserve it. It doesn't matter. But they're not doing their part. It doesn't matter. Jesus could say all those things about us, but because he's entered into a covenant relationship with us he loves us anyway. Right? So husbands, God doesn't tell you to love your wives as long as she is lovable. And wives, God doesn't tell you to love your husbands as long as he is respectable. It's kind of like the, the command that um, God gives to kids to honor their parents. It, it doesn't mean the parents are honorable. It never says that. It says, I have put them in a position of honor and I want them to be honored, period. Right? We, we understand that. It's the same thing with marriage. He wants husbands to be respected by their wives and he wants wives to be loved by their husbands. And we're to do it as an act of worship to God, an act of obedient worship, right? We're to do it because he asked us to do it and it's important to him. And and if we let it become contingent upon what the other person does, we will inevitably get into this bad cycle of no love and no respect. And, and, And this is where the husband basically says, well, I don't feel very respected by her, so I'm gonna withhold my affection. And the wife says, well, he's not showing me much love and kindness, so I'm not going to show him any respect. And you get into this self-perpetuating cycle of negativity, and a lot of people, a lot of marriages are in that. You might be in it right now. The good news is that you can change that cycle by doing what God has asked you to do, right? You can reverse course and get into the good cycle of love and respect, which also self-perpetuates, by the way, because a husband who feels the respect of his wife will have a much easier time loving her. And and a wife who feels the love of her husband will have a much easier time respecting him. It's beautiful the way it works. And by the way, we can help each other out. So uh, men, if you want to make your your wife's job easier, be respectable. (laughs) And women, if you want to make your husband's job easier, do your best to be lovable. I've seen this work in even the most difficult of marriages. So if you're willing to accept and take on the role God has given you, regardless of what your spouse does, it can, it can revolutionize your marriage. It can change everything. So practically speaking, what do these things look like in our everyday lives? Because this is kind of where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Um, starting with the wives, what does it look like to respect your husband and, and submit to him? Let, let me start by saying what it doesn't look like. It doesn't mean simply going along with your husband as long as you agree with his decisions. That's pretty easy to do, right? It also doesn't mean pretending to be submissive while you remain completely in charge of everything and always get your way. Uh, I see this a lot of times. It's like it seems they look submissive, maybe in this in this way, but but the husband basically has just thrown his hands up and given up and said, I- "I'm never going to be able to do this." So what's the point? Here's the problem with that. What's God's design and desire for marriage? Is this honoring God? It's it's not, and so. Submission means actually allowing your husband to lead and encouraging him and supporting him in that role. I mean, really wanting him to succeed at it and doing everything you can to get him to succeed at it. And, and, and just, you know, this is the way this works, unfortunately for you guys. This means that you're gonna have to learn to trust your God, maybe a lot more than you trust your husband's decision sometimes. Do you see that? So it's like, you know, your husband's here, your God's here, you're gonna, sometimes you're gonna have to kind of go, okay, Lord, I don't know what he's doing, but I know what you're doing and I trust you, okay? And here's the cool thing. God has given you access, wives, to a secret weapon. And some of you are going, I already know about this, right? If I withhold physical intimacy, I'll get my way. No, no. (laughs) If I nag him enough, no, no, that's not it either, you know? If I wait till I get a group of people and attack him in front of them, you know, he'll change. No, silent treatment, no. Your secret weapon is prayer. And this is an amazing thing he's given you. You can say, God, I trust you. I'm looking to you you know, no matter what, and, and and to see, you know, this is the amazing thing, is my wife has figured this out, and um, I'll, I'll have this epiphany one time, and I'm like, kind of made this decision, and I, this is the way we're going to do it from now on, and I'll kind of look over, and she's got a little knowing grin on her face, and I'm like, you were praying, weren't you, you know, she's so <laughs> like, maybe, but that's fair game, praying behind your husband's back for, for God to work <laughs> is is fair game, I think, you know, right, it's not, you're not dishonoring him, you're not disrespecting him, you're just trusting your God, so Now, a couple quick caveats to that. This doesn't mean that you um, basically disobey God in order to obey your husband. So on the way home, if I say, hey, we're going to go knock over that convenience store on the way home to get a little extra cash, she can say no to that, right? Because she's breaking God's law to that. And then the other thing is this, husbands, if God has put you in that position of authority, don't be foolish and not listen to the person that he's brought into your life that's different than you to be your helper. I can't believe how many guys don't think about before you make a a big decision that's going to affect your wife and your family and your life. You need to bring her into that conversation and hear her out, right? Okay. So, wives, what are some practical ways that you can show respect to your husbands, and and why does it matter? Uh, I think it's interesting. I, I just read a verse a minute ago about how God said it's not good for men to live alone, and yet you know He's going to create a helper fit for him. We hear that verse. And all we hear is what the negative thing that it says about women. But do you see that it's also saying something about men there, <laughs> right? You're gonna need help, he said. And I don't think this means like, you're gonna need somebody to make you sandwiches and fold your underwear, which we appreciate that. He's, he's, he's saying, you're not gonna be good on your own, buddy. Uh, you're gonna need help. And, and I, I can't tell you, ladies, you probably know this already, but I don't know if you understand how true this is, and how important the role you play in our lives is. Um, Growing up, I had a, a dad. I don't think he meant to, but he always made me feel incompetent and just like an idiot. I remember him. I can still hear his voice when I would do something wrong, and he would say, you idiot. I can hear it. It's just there. So when I got married, I didn't feel like I was confident or capable or you know, even you know, it it would have been so easy for Joy to continue that trend of belittling me and making me feel small. Because, you know, it it would have been easy. I, I, there were things she could, she came from a, a, her dad was, all of her dad and her brothers, these construction manly men, they had beards when they were like in sixth grade, you know, (laughs) just, and then there's me. And she could have easily made me feel that way. And she didn't, she did the opposite. Uh, She made me feel capable. Uh, she made me feel strong. She made me feel smart. And what began to happen is over time, I gained confidence and I gained um, ability and I you know—I became more respectable. Wives don't underestimate how important your role is and, and the impact that you can make on your husband in this area. He needs this from you more than anybody else. Build him up with your speech. Compliment him. Speak well about him in front of your your family, your friends, especially your mothers, you know. Don't sabotage them. Mother-in-laws are hard as it is sometimes, and if you talk to them about all the ways that your husband's, you know, not, not doing things right, that's going to be bad. But my wife has always done well in this area, even when I didn't deserve it, and God has used it mightily in my life through the Holy Spirit to sanctify me and build me into a better man, and I thank him for it. So find ways, wives, to make your husband feel like the man tell him how great he is, tell him how strong he is, we'll eat it up, even if we know it's not entirely true. I, I just, I'll, I'll listen to it all day long, you know, it's just, it's fantastic. We're uh, kind of an interesting creature, we men, but we're not very complex. We need to be respected, we need to be respected, appreciated, you know, esteemed, honored, that kind of things. And if our wives are not the champions, you know, of this area of our life, we are really going to struggle as men, all right? So, the role you play in marriage is crucial, and it pleases God when you excel at it. I just love that. You know, again, it doesn't matter what your husband's doing, it pleases God when you excel at it. Okay. Husbands, you get your turn now. Some practical ways that you can love your wives, and why does it matter? Um, It took me a while to figure this out. You know, I've been married 33 years, and just recently I started to discover this. When my relationship with my wife isn't going well, I can almost bring it back to the fact that I'm not loving her the way I'm supposed to. Um, I started to kind of pay attention to this and, and, and watching, and it was like, oh wow, this is a real thing. Um, it's normal to always think it's the other person. You know, if something's going wrong, it's like, well, it can't be me, so it's got to be them. That's the way we think, right? And then I watched this, this dumb video uh, by a guy named Paul David Tripp, and his premise was this, the biggest problem in your marriage is you. <laughs> it was like, no way! Yeah, way. That I, and I started to realize that yeah, this this is this is actually right. So when joy isn't being the you know the wife I want her to be, I start to ask my questions. I've learned to ask myself, "How are you doing with loving your wife?" And almost every time now, I can just go, "You're dropping the ball there," and that's what's going on. And so I turn it around. I start loving her, and I, I begin to see this great change in our relationship. It's fascinating. So. That's kind of the first one, but, but loving your wife as Jesus loved the church means sacrifice, it means devotion, it means laying your, yourself down, it means giving yourself to make sure she is cared for and secure and protected and cherished. It means that you lead her spiritually. It means that you're patient with her. Uh, I, I see so many men, so many guys, and, and I'm including myself in this, that aren't very patient with their wife. Sometimes they're short with her and they snap at her. And, they're, and Jesus is never that way with me. And he has every right to be that way with me. And he's so patient with me. So um, there, there's, a, there's a verse that we tend to avoid because it, it's got one of those things in it that makes us feel uncomfortable. So we read it and kind of move on quickly. You know those verses? Here's one. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, you know by the last part of this, this is important. This is something that can hinder your prayers if you get it wrong. But, but let's go ahead and deal with the awkward part of the verse here. Uh, what, is it meant, what is it meant here when it says that the women are the weaker vessel? Well, it, it can't mean inferior in value because it just said that they are heirs of grace. They're, they're fellow heirs with the husband. That's unheard of in this culture. If you're an heir to an inheritance, you're a male. And he starts out by saying, your wife is a fellow heir with you. So, so it's not that. Um, the command to, to honor our wives, by the way, that's the other thing he says in there, honor your wives, is an example of how God values women. Uh, this was written at a time when women were not honored much. They were treated more like property. Christianity treats women in a radically different way. When, when you think about the word honor, it means to Place a high value on something or to treat it as though it had great worth. So, if you have something in your home, for instance, that you just honor greatly, it's on a shelf that nobody can get to and it's protected, it's cared for, you, you're concerned about it. This is what it says to do with your wife treat her with honor as though she's so valuable that you just, you're, you're, you're just very careful in the way that you, you love her and care for her and protect her and all these things. I wish more people did this with their spouses. We, we tend to not see what we have. And uh, just to be blunt with you for a second, um, do you know how lucky you are to have somebody that knows you and actually wants to be married to you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you ever think that way? I, 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 I just think it's like she knows me better than anybody. She knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the embarrassing, all of it. And she said, I do to me. That's, that's not as you know, common as you think it is. I think we think that we could just go find that somewhere else quickly. Like there'd be a line of women that are just like, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So, so keep that in mind. But the weaker vessel, by the way, it doesn't mean less value. That's what I was trying to say. And then I got sidetracked. We have equal value in Christ. It also doesn't mean this when it talks about the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean that they are weaker intellectually, spiritually, or morally. I would say that many women are actually stronger than their husbands in, in those three areas. So it definitely has physical strength in mind here. Um, generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women. But, but I think it also refers to um, the position that God has given men and women. So last time we talked about the fact that God has called men to be the leader in their home. So he's put them in the stronger position. And we are to live in an understanding way, showing honor to our wives since they are in this weaker position than us. So th- this means, means that men, we are never to take advantage of our stronger position. We are never to to talk down to our wives, to belittle them, um, to intimidate them in a way in a way that frightens them, all of these things would dishonor God. So if you're if you're ever speaking to your wife in a way that you know raises your blood pressure, your voice, or your hand, you're not honoring God and you're not honoring your wife. And this is something I had to learn the, the voice part, not the hand part, the blood pressure maybe too. But the the voice part, I when I get excited Uh, when I'm passionate about something, I start talking faster and I start talking louder. And early on in our marriage, I would, you know, something would come up, I'd start doing this, talking to Joy, and all of a sudden I'd start to see her almost start to shrink and cower. And I'm like, what's wrong with her? Well, she's scared of you right now, you idiot. I didn't realize it. So I I had to learn this. And this is just one example of learning what it means to be understanding with your wife. The fact that Peter tells men that they are going to have to strive to understand their wives, tells us something important, guys, uh, we're going to have a difficult time understanding our wives, right? It's right there on black and white for us to see. Um, I said earlier that men are not very complex creatures. (laughs) Women are very complex creatures, trying to know what's going on in their mind or trying to understand them. For us, I mean, other women have no problem, but for us, it's difficult. And and so seeking to understand your wife takes effort. It means you're going to have to work at it. And one of the things that I remember hearing one time, and it just, I, I'm like, how did I not understand that or see it? You know, the the, the honeydew list. We always kind of make fun of the, the honeydew list that all wives have for their husbands. And it's like, oh, she's just always, you know, busting my chops. She's got this list of things for me to do. Not, but have you ever tried to understand it? Um, generally, your home represents your wife. Never would have put that together. So, she gets kind of her identity and her value very often from her home, like her friends and her family and everybody that sees the home. That reflects on her. And so the reason that she has a honeydew list is because all of that stuff that's broken, you know, that thing that's crooked and that needs to be fixed, it makes her feel broken. It makes her feel undone. I mean, I never in a million years would have got that. I just thought, she's just, you know, she's just on me, she's riding me to do this stuff. No, this, this is something that I needed to have understanding to figure out, or I wouldn't have. And there's so many different things like this that, that are true about that. So we have to think about what our wife's needs are. We need to think about trying to understand these things, and then we need to figure out how we can communicate love to her effectively. And guys, I just want to remind you that you can do this, because you remember how good you were at it when you were trying to get the girl? Huh? You, you, you did everything it took to get the girl, right? Right? If we're willing to do it to get the girl, we should be willing to do it to keep the girl. Right? So, husbands, this means that you're supposed to give of yourselves. And I know this is hard sometimes. You work hard. You've got a lot going on. You're stressed out. It's a hard day at work, and you don't want to make that a priority. But it needs to be up there on your to-do list. And the truth is, we give ourselves to all kinds of things that matter to us, whether it's friends or hobbies or recreation or, you know, your kids even, um, TV shows, ministry sports events. I mean, we can go on and on and on. If it's important to us, we have no problem giving ourselves to it. So how important is your wife and your family? So this is a priority men are given, but figuring out how to connect with our wives in an effective way is not exactly our speciality as men sometimes. So um, it helps for us to have a target, I've found, We went through a book years ago by a guy named Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Some of you guys are probably familiar with that. I found it really helpful. I kind of went in with a bad attitude. It's like, well, this sounds girly, and and then it was like, (laughs) okay, this was actually helpful. And the premise of the book is that he's saying guys know how to love generally, but maybe not specifically. So I think generally means like, well, I put food on the table, so clearly I love you. Well. <laughs> love might include emotion sometimes and some other things you know so we just just a general thing isn't enough specific helps so how do we do this um well learning these different love languages there are five primary ways that people show and receive love and, and there can be more than one you can have you know several but here they are number one is touch and so this is the idea of just physical touch it can be holding hands it can be you know some of you guys today you know if you put your your arm around your wife in church for just a second she just kind of like melts into you, might be touch, you know, uh, that's really important. If you try to hug your wife and she's like, get away from me, you know, You're, I'm hot, maybe it's not touch, right? <laughs> so you just pick up on those little clues. Um, you might, this is important to my wife, touch, and, and it's funny because for me, it's more the I'm hot. But I find that I put up with it. I remember when my kids were little, if they wanted to pile on my lap or my grandkids now and they wanted to watch TV, it's amazing how I could put up with that. And then I'm irritated by my wife. It's like, whew. sorry. It's not supposed to be self confession time, but that would be wrong. <clears throat> sorry. Didn't have that written down. Just popped into my head. <laughs> Next one is quality time. Number two is quality time. And this is important that this is as defined by them, not as defined by you. Because you can think, you know, we sat and watched a movie for three hours together on the same couch. What, what more do you want from me? <laughs> that, that might not be quality time. So, so how they define it is the important part. And that might be going for a walk in the evenings or, you know, there's lots of different um, options there. The third one is acts of service. And this is when somebody feels loved because you've done something for them. You've done the, you know, cleaned the kitchen, um, folded the clothes, whatever. You know, you've done something and and it made them feel valued and loved. And unfortunately, that's my love language. So sorry to my wife, but that's the one that I feel love with, you know, for. The fourth one is gifts. So, and this doesn't have to be expensive gifts. It's just that, that idea that you thought of them. You value them enough to go and buy them something and give it to them. And, and that's how they would receive love. And the fifth one is words of affirmation or, or saying things that, that build them up. You're smart, you're talented, you're capable, um, you're beautiful. And, and not just to them, but in front of others as well it makes a huge difference because it just makes them beam with you know this, this feeling of love. Um, and then keep in mind, of course, that doing the opposite of the things that make them feel loved will completely devastate them. So if words of affirmation is their love language and you belittle them to your friends or make fun of them in front of people or you know that kind of stuff, or if, if acts of service is their love and, and you, know, you come in and you notice uh, instead of the 20 things they did great that day, you key in on the one thing that they forgot and that's what you point out, it's like you're gonna devastate them. So um, if you wanna communicate your love effectively to your spouse, you gotta figure out their love language and we make the mistake of assuming that the way that I feel love is the way that they will feel love. So if acts of service is my love, I can be doing chores all day long, and I get, you know, Joy gets home, and I'm like, look how I've loved you. And she's like, thank you, but that, you know, just sit on the couch with me for a second, hold my hand, okay? So we need to know what the target is so we can, you know, hit it. That's the idea. We can put forth all kinds of effort and and miss it completely. Um, If you're not sure what your wife's love language is, Pay attention to how she loves people. If she's always calling people and encouraging them with her words, or if she's always buying gifts for people, you know, that's how you can do it. Uh, if, if you want to get creative, try all five. What could go, what's the worst that could happen, you know? Just give it a shot. Keep them coming. Uh, it'll work pretty good. Or, this is a crazy idea, ask, right? <laughs> just, just ask. Um, for some reason, we have a really hard time talking about this kind of stuff. And I don't know why. But that'll work pretty well. So this is where the single people that have been putting up with this message get to, get to go, okay, now uh, I'm gonna give homework out, but only to the married people. So you don't get homework, congratulations. Uh, I'm gonna ask you guys to, to go home today or in this, this next week and ask each other a couple of questions. Uh, before you ask the questions, I would encourage you pray, maybe pray alone and then maybe pray together and then commit to just being loving and respectful as you go through this stuff. Um, without getting angry, so man i 'm going to give you two questions. I would just start with the first one, see how it goes, and then if you feel brave, move on to the second one. First one is pretty simple. Ask your wife, what are the things I do that make you feel loved? Just ask and see how that goes. If it goes well, second question, what are the things I do that make you feel unloved okay and that 's where it gets a little harder, but you 're going to get a target to aim at and you 're going to get a target to avoid. And, and that's a good thing. And wives, it's the same thing. Ask your husband, what, what are the things that I do that make you feel the most respected, that make you feel respected as a man? And what are the things that I do that make you feel disrespected? And, and to me, this will, you'll be surprised at the, at the answers maybe. Maybe you won't, but it will just help you in, in doing these things that God has asked us to do. Um, I'm going to try to get through this last part. I saved it to the end because if you know me, I'm emotional. Uh, David and Carrie Thompson, Pastor David and his wife, a few years ago, uh, renewed their vows, 25 years, and uh, they asked me to open the service that day, and I don't even think they were in the room, but I, I read what I wrote to them, and I thought, when you see a couple that's doing these things we're talking about, it deserves to be honored, and, and I think you guys kind of know them well enough to, to know what this example looks like, so this is what I wrote that, for them that, that night. It says, we are here tonight to celebrate 25 years of marriage and to see these two renew their vows, but more than that, we are here to celebrate God's faithfulness and the power of the gospel. If you're not aware of the story of David and Carrie's marriage, it has not always been what it is today. They broke up on a regular basis when they were dating, so they decided to get married <laughs> <laughs> against the advice of counselors, pastors, and friends who placed bets on how quickly they would get divorced. We met David, David and Carrie about six years into their marriage. Joy and I moved from Coeur d'Alene and bought a house right next door to the Thompson's. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Because when you live right next door to each other, you see and hear everything that goes on in each other's lives. God's command for husbands is to love their wives as Christ loved his church and gave himself for her. And God's command for wives is that she submit to her husband and show him respect as the head of the marriage. And these two simply were not doing anything close to resembling that when we met them. There were times when I didn't know if they were going to make it. But over the years, they began to accept and embrace their individual roles out of obedience to God, and things began to change. I see the way they treat each other today, and I am amazed at what God has done. They are not perfect, but David really loves and appreciates his wife, and Carrie really respects her husband, and God is glorified and magnified in it. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, which is why it is so important for us to hold fast to. The gospel tells a story of a man and his bride, Jesus and the church. The man chose to love his bride and to remain faithful to her regardless of what she does or does not do. His love for her is not based on performance or faithfulness or even us loving him in return. Jesus laid down his life for his bride and promised that he would never leave or forsake her, Period. This is how we are to act in marriage. And since this is a picture of the gospel, we have a responsibility before the watching world to maintain the integrity of this gospel illustration by staying married. These two have had every reason to throw in the towel and end this thing. Most people wouldn't have blamed them for it. And yet they chose to accept their God-given roles and take up their crosses and stay married. God has not only blessed them by giving them an ever-improving relationship, But he's blessed us. So, David and Carrie, thank you for believing and modeling the gospel. Thank you for your commitment to Christ. Thank you for not taking the easy way out, but instead dying to yourself. May you continue to honor God, fulfilling your roles unto Him, and have many happy years together. And that's been a few years, and I've seen improvements even still since then because they simply said, Okay, God, I'm going to accept the role you've given me, and I'm going to do it to the glory of You, for the good of my marriage. Uh, for your, for your, you know, because it pleases you and for the good of the people watching. And that's what he's asked us to do as, as Christians in marriage. So, okay. Whew. I got through it without crying too. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the gift of marriage. We're thankful for um, just, just the way that uh, we, we see this, this beautiful love story of a, of a, a God who desired to, to have a relationship with the people. Um, it doesn't make sense to us, but we just see this in, in Christ and the way that he's loved us and pursued us for relationship and given everything to be with us. And that's really the heart of this, this uh, message today, Lord, uh, how grateful we are as your people to be able to have a Savior and to be able to um, enjoy a relationship with you. I pray that our marriages would reflect that. I pray that the, the singles in, in the room today would be just encouraged by who they are in you and that you would be everything that they need right now. Um, Lord, you're so good to us, and we just acknowledge that right now in Christ's name. Amen.